Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hi, my name is Grigor Dimitrov, and you're listening to Tennis Podcast. Hi, I'm Mats Villander, and you are listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, coming to you from the Monte Carlo Country Club, where we've just watched the final of the Monte Carlo Rolex Masters, won rather emphatically in the end by Novak Djokovic over Thomas Burdich. I'm delighted to say that I'm not joined by my co-presenter, David Law, this week. He, unfortunately, wasn't able to come out to Monte Carlo, but I am joined by the even better Robbie Koenig, who's an ex-professional tennis player and has been commentating on all the matches this week for the World Feed. Robbie, thank you for joining me. Yeah, only a pleasure. I can't match David for height, but hopefully I can try and match him for some knowledge. You, you can definitely match him for everything except for height, I think. Nobody, nobody can match him there. Robbie, let's talk about the final first because we've just watched it. It's fresh in our minds. Um, we just had a little chat before starting recording and I said I thought the final exceeded expectations a bit. I think a lot of people were expecting a straight setter, maybe even an extremely one-sided straight setter. And that wasn't what we had. Jok- um, Burdich put up decent resistance out there, didn't he? He certainly did. I think, I think you make a good point as far as the straight set victory is concerned. I think a lot of us, myself included, uh, thought that Burdick would struggle to get a set off Novak, given how well he's played the last couple of days, last couple of weeks. But the conditions were horrible today, Kath. Uh, you know, the, the wind was blowing a little bit. It was cold. We had a, a little bit of rain that was coming throughout the course of the first set and, and, and into the start of the second set. And Novak never really found his rhythm. He was... You know, he was playing, I would say, uh, below his base level of play, which has probably been an 8, 8.5 out of 10 this week. I thought he was playing at about a 7, a 6.5 at best. Um, and he was making careless mistakes. And I think once Burdick uh, came back from the rain delay that we had in the fifth game of the second set, it seemed like he came back with a, a much more definitive game plan. The boys in Hawkeye were showing us um, what his, his shot placement was like before the rain break and afterwards and afterwards he was making concerted effort to go to the forehand a lot more at Novak and I think that helped turn things around it's almost impossible to break down Novak's backhand but the forehand is a little bit more susceptible and I thought it was a good game plan uh, that worked well in his favor but it's sustaining that level that's so tough so what happened in the third set from your point of view then you know what good players are so good at doing is that when they lose a tightly contested set, they're able to reset so quickly at the start of the next set. And often they can wrestle a match away from you early on in a set. They go up a set in a break, or if it's set all, they get a break early on in the decider. And that's exactly what happened today with Novak. As soon as he lost that second set, it was focus was right back there. 
And I think Burdick was still thinking about the fact that now it's a set all. He's got a chance to win. And before he had time to blink, he was four love down. So if Djokovic was a 7 out of 10 today and Burdic at, at points played some of his best tennis, I think, what is it going to take to beat Novak Djokovic? He's just won his third Masters 1000 event of the year, which has never been done before. No one's ever won the first three of the year. He's also won the only Grand Slam of the year so far. Is he unbeatable? Seems that way at the moment, certainly at the biggest events. And he's dominated those so far. He lost early on in the year. Uh, of course, Ivo Karlovic, but he was still a little rusty. But once he gets his teeth stuck into a tournament, he's got no holes in his game. It doesn't matter what the surface is. He's moving so well. He's so tough between the years. Um, you know, and I was making the comment yesterday when I was commentating with, uh, with Nick. For me, the only real foe that he has right now is injury. I think Roger Federer on a fast hard court can do some damage, maybe at a, a place like Shanghai, where they do speed the courts up a little bit. But for everybody else, he's certainly got Rafa's number. That seems to be you know, pretty obvious. But obviously beating Rafa over five set at Roland Garros, that's something else to discuss. But I thought yesterday, even though the match was one of high quality, you've got to remember the scoreline, three and three. And I tell you what, in the locker room, amongst tennis players, that would be regarded as a routine match. And that's how good he's playing at the moment. He's, be he's good enough to beat uh, somebody like Nadal routinely on a clay court. Let's talk about Nadal a little bit because everybody we've saying we've been saying on the tennis podcast and all the other tennis commentators have been saying let's not panic about Rafa until we've seen him on the clay. Well, we now have seen him on the clay. We've seen him somewhere where he's won the title eight times here. It's practically his home turf, um, and he was good, but certainly not at his great best do you see this as he was very much trying to frame the week as a positive saying this is one big step towards where I want to be give me another few weeks which he now has mm -hmm. on the clay before Roland Garros and he could be back to where he is how do you see it yes he needs to get more high intense matches into his legs I think that's what he was harping on about yesterday you know playing Novak is the ultimate barometer at the moment he was the first to admit that and he knows his game is, is not where it needs to be. But I think given all that's happened in the last couple of months for him, everything's going to be focused towards the French Open. So even if he doesn't excel during the clay court season now, if he doesn't win in Madrid or Rome or even Barcelona next week, he'll be you know, kind of tapering everything towards defending that title at Roland Garros. And you know, he's always been the kind of player who needs to hit thousands of balls. He's not a Roger Federer or somebody like a Novak Djokovic who seems to slip seamlessly into their rhythm. He's always been one of those guys, when you see him out of the practice court, his warm-ups for matches last an hour, whereas the other guys, it's like 20 minutes. I watched him over the years do practice sessions uh, with his coach where it goes on for two and a half, three hours of the most intense ball hitting the day before a tournament starts. So he's definitely that kind of individual and again given everything that's happened I think he needs a bit more time and given that time I mean how can we how can we doubt him given his record on clay over the last decade well you say that but here's a question for you maybe it's not about Rafa maybe it's just about Djokovic maybe even if Rafa takes that time improves every week gets back to where he was is it possible now that Djokovic has improved so much his peak is so high now that even Rafa's best might not be enough Excellent point you make. I think so. I think his base level of play on any surface is, is better than Ruffus if you're doing a direct comparison. But I guess the ultimate test, and I think it's been the ultimate test in our sport for a long time, is can you maintain that high base level of play over five sets on a clay court? It's been virtually impossible for anybody to do. But I think now Novak's getting uh, very close to being able to achieve that. And I also think that 
I see things unfolding at the French Open like this, it's going to be in Novak's hands. If he gets tight like he did last year, remember he was up a set and he was playing some good aggressive tennis and he got passive. And then once um, Rafa got back into that match in the second set, he turned things around. He was so aggressive thereafter. I think he, w he won that second set and he was up 3-11 in, in the third set in no time. Djokovic cannot allow that to happen. He's got to be aggressive like he was yesterday against them. And if he can maintain that aggression over a long period of time, I think he'll be good enough to win the French Open. But of course, that's a million miles away now. Well, it's getting closer by the day, though. That's the thing. Do you see anybody else in the draw? Anybody like who is capable of doing maybe what Sodling did 2009? Somebody who just on their day could out of nowhere shock Djokovic. Do you, do, is there anybody out there? I don't know. I mean, not on this, on, not on the basis of this week, but a Gulbis or a, uh, I, I'm not going to say Dimitrov because uh, who knows what's going on with him. But who? I think somebody like John Isner. He's got the kind of game that we've seen historically has caused uh, Novak a fair few problems. Uh, I like the way he came out and played against Rafa this week. It's, he's the type of player that the big boys hate playing because they get no rhythm against him. He can serve massive, so he's getting a lot of free points. And you always feel like your destiny is not in your own hands. And the unpredictability factor is so high when you play against them, and that's annoying for the best boys. They like to be in control of everything. They're so good at dictating play. But isn't this the kind of guy uh, that doesn't allow you that? And I think he's in good hands at the moment. I think Justin Gimmelstab is doing a good job with him. He's got him playing the right kind of game. He's not doing too much defending. It's good one-strike tennis. So for me, he's the one guy that, that is, is really sticking out head and shoulders above everybody else. And how about Guillermo Feast, semi-finalist here this week? Fantastic result for him. Unfortunately, he uh, he didn't seem to be at the races really in that semi-final against Thomas Burdich. Couldn't conjure up the intensity that he'd managed to produce that had got him through quite convincingly, convincingly in the end against Roger Federer. Is he somebody that, on his day, with the French crowd behind him, you know, gets into a five-set battle, the French crowd are roaring? Is he somebody that could? do something big and unexpected listen there's always a possibility but if I was uh, putting all my hard-earned cash on it no I would say uh, that's probably not going to happen you know again one of the things we were discussing on air this week was um, would you describe him as, as a great competitor and I said five and a half six out of ten maximum as far as he is concerned but I've got to give credit where credit's due I think uh, Jan de Witt's done a great job with him in the, in the couple of months that he's been with him. Of course, uh, also coaches Gilles Seymour. And I've definitely seen a more focused and intense Morphis out on court today. And who knows what that could lead to, Catherine? Um, of course, we always want him to be there and thereabouts because he is such an entertainer and his shot making is so spectacular. But as a person who could upset Djokovic or even somebody like Nadal at the big dance, I don't see that happening because, again, his base level of play fluctuates so much throughout the course of matches, of tournaments. Um, but as much as I'd like to see him do well, he probably wouldn't be one of my top three picks in that department. Uh, somebody like Milos Raonic, fingers crossed that he's not, um, you know, the foot problem is not too serious. Again, a guy with a big game like that, he is the kind of player who can hurt you. I just want to give an honourable mention here while we're talking about potential candidates. I've been impressed with Songa this week. I know he lost to Marin Cilic, but he was looking in showroom condition. I don't know how much you got to see of him, but he was looking a lot leaner. And I liked his attitude when he lost against Cilic. He absolutely mangled the racket and he was really annoyed because he said he's been putting in a, a lot of hard practice. And he didn't enjoy losing. And we haven't seen that attitude from him all too often. You know, sometimes it's almost like he loses and he's 
you know, pretty Harry casual about it, but I saw something in Songa this week. It was a very refreshing. You in the Goran Ivanovic camp of liking it when players break, break rackets, are you? Well, for me, it shows they care. They've still got the passion. They still want to win. It's when they don't start doing, when they stop doing that, that you as a coach actually start to worry. Well, how much desire do you have left? But uh, you know, those two things—the fact that he's looking a lot slimmer, and the fact that he's showing a lot of passion—I think it's a good sign for Songa and Songa fans. Interesting. I can't let you go without getting your expert insight into Grigor Dimitrov because we're a big fan of his on the Tennis Podcast. We feel like we've been talking about him mm-hmm. for about 10 years now. It feels like he should be about 35 and have won 10 Grand Slams, but he's, what, 24 and uh, is just struggling to make that breakthrough, isn't he? We thought this week would be a huge turnaround for him. He got great wins over mm-hmm. really seasoned clay court players, Fognini, Vadasco. He beat Vavrinka one and three. It was sense or one and two even, I think. Mm-hmm. And then showed up against Monfils on Friday and was, frankly, horrendous. Your summation is is fantastic there, and I love the way you finished it off because it goes back to what we're judging somebody like Dimitrov against. He's had four guys that have been playing the game now for a number of years ahead of him, and those guys are the benchmark. And their consistency over a long period of time is how we're always going to judge this next generation. And you know what? A generation before... He might have been ranked you know, well with inside the top 10, perhaps even challenging for majors now, but he's not. Um, I don't think he did himself any favours tinkering with uh, uh, perhaps a new record at the start of the season. Um, but again, physically, I still think there's a little bit of work that needs to be done there, especially on the backhand side. Uh, high on the backhand, he's a little bit vulnerable. And on this surface in particular, I think players are able to exploit it. And am I going to see... Dimitrov break into the top 10 this year? I think he will, but it's going to happen later rather than sooner. And uh, Rod- Roger Rashid wasn't with him this week. Uh, Grigor played that down completely, said he's just got some personal business to attend to back home. Nothing to read into it. However, do you have your own conspiracy theories about that? No, because I think it's a good partnership. And if, uh, if that's what uh, Grigor says, I'm pretty sure that'll be the case. I think they've been a fantastic team. You've got to remember that they're coming off a career-best season last year. There's no need for, for uh, Grigor to make any changes to his camp. I think Roger's bringing out the best of him. He's definitely buffed him up a little bit. He's stronger upper body and lower body, and there's still work to be done. And, you know, Roger's the kind of guy who understands the process. He's been with Songa, with Monfils, with Leighton Hewitt in the early days, and he understands that things take time, and he's very experienced. And I think if they were to split, if that's what you're suggesting, that there might not be harmony in the camp, I think it would be a, a bad career move as far as uh, Dimitrov is concerned. But I definitely wouldn't read too much into it, Kath. Oh, well, we're delighted to hear somebody backing Grigor Dimitrov or backing him to a certain extent. Just before I let you go, it sounds very much to me like unless something extraordinary happens in the next few weeks, you are 100% backing Novak Djokovic to win the French Open. Is that correct? Yes. You know, I always say if it's all my hard-earned cash, who would I put it on? And given what I've seen now, he is the man. And, you know, I said at the start of the year, I was so impressed with the way he was playing there. I think he's going to dominate the sport for the next three years, maybe even longer. And I've penciled him for two majors a year at least for the next three years. That's how good I think he's looking. There's no holes in his game and he plays well on every surface. He's strong between the years. That's my call. Wow, that's bad news for anybody else in men's tennis, isn't it? Djokovic dominating for the next three years. I know I'm going to get a lot of hate mail now and hate Twitter and whatever else from uh, the Federer 
and Nadal fans. But you know what? You've got to give credit where credit's due. When Roger was at the top of the game, we were, we were singing his, his plaudits. And the same with Rafa when he was unbeatable. And there's no favoritism here. I absolutely love all those guys. But you've got to look honestly. I don't have those rose-tinted glasses on. I'm not a, a major fan of any of them. I just love to watch great tennis. And right now, Djokovic, for me, is playing tennis that is uh, significantly better than the chasing pack. They're pretty vehement, those Rafa and Roger fans, aren't they? Like no, like nothing other, <laughs> nothing else in tennis that I've seen. But if, if you love Rafa or Roger, you hate anybody that loves the other one. It's, very, it's a very odd thing but it's fantastic for people to be so passionate about tennis however they express that but don't express it to Robbie he's just being honest he's just being an excellent analyst and I'm delighted you could join me on the tennis podcast absolute pleasure thanks for having me and thanks for bringing me on board it's been a lot of fun Kath it's been a lot of fun and so from what is undoubtedly the most beautiful setting I think on the tennis tour that's a wrap see you next week Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.